Hello everyone. Thank you for checking out Mental Health Podcast, a show dedicated to encouraging more open conversations surrounding not only men's mental health, but everyone's mental health, because it's something we all have in common. Remember, if you're struggling to cope right now, you are not alone, ever. I've included some links to some free support services in the episode description. Remember, conversations save lives. So, season one, episode four, the guest is Alex Holmes, a writer on spirituality, mentality and emotionality in the pursuit of wellness. He's a certified holistic health coach and trainee therapist that seeks to support men with their emotional education and healing. He is also the author of his debut book, Time to Talk, how men think about love, belonging and connection. Links to the book, Alex's website and his award-winning podcast, also called Time to Talk, in the episode description. Alex and I discussed masculinity and he shared how societal pressures and ideologies of masculinity affected his own mental health and his ability to truly connect with people in his life as well as himself. He also talks to the broader impact traditional ideas of masculinity has on emotional well-being of men and women in different ways and shares some insights into how we can all show up and do more to help everyone feel safe to navigate the world in an authentic way. Alex also discusses how emotionality can help men to become more in tune with their thoughts, feelings and ultimately their actions as well as sharing how emotionality is an important component for an effective and supportive conversation about mental health. This is an enlightening, entertaining and organic conversation with a man on a mission to help and support as many people as he can with the work that he does. I hope you enjoy this episode of Men Tell Health. let's go hello everyone welcome to mental health podcast so today i have the incredible the incomparable alex holmes with me how are you doing today alex i am doing very well um it's friday and i am in the process of winding down for the week um and i probably do you want to tell people what day you record sorry um but yeah i'm um i'm winding down <clears throat> for the for the week it's bank holiday weekend i'm doing some training this weekend so um but i'm looking forward to just having some downtime mm-hmm. um weirdly for me work studying not working studying is relaxing for me so you know. <laughs> so like when people are like oh just relax don't do anything kick back i'm like oh give me a book <laughs> or something to like relax with or else my mind does a whole different kind of thing by itself you know so um yeah i'm good i am very very well um at this stage i'm just coming off the back of a slightly depressive moment but yeah it's just um it's just me kicking and you know sorry I'm, I, I tend to run into this I can see you asking questions with your face so, so, I'm, like, yes. <laughs> so I'm like let me just answer what you want to answer um basically this depressive moment really came because after the book um was published 
um, nobody tells you about what happens after the book is published. They literally have you sitting there for like nine months writing a book, your debut anyway, nine months. And then for like, what, two or three months, it's going to be edited and copy edited and all that stuff. Then you don't hear anything for like a month and a bit. All you know is that they're doing stuff <laughs> and then it's published. And then you're like, oh, wow. Like, okay, it's out. So something that's been intensely and insanely personal to me and with me and kind of in my head, computer and like pretty much heart <laughs> um, is now just available for everyone. And it's actually just one of those things. So then you're talking, talking, talking a lot about it. And then it's like, the decompressions like the build up in your mind just kind of just like it just goes to the rest of your body and then you're just there so that's the that was a kind of a real the, the the state i was in i was happy but then i was also nervous but then i was also felt weird and it was like the book is out but is it and then it's just all this really weird thing. i can't go to the bookshops because they're closed so it's all of that as well but um you know and i suppose as well there's part of that where um it's people's reactions to it, isn't it? Because like you say, it's so deeply personal. It's, it's been so, you've been so close to it for such a long time. Then suddenly overnight, everybody has access to to such a huge part of you. Yeah. I had to make peace with a lot of the stuff I put into the book, you know? Because um, I was like, and that's what, and I had therapy I, all the way through it because I was unearthing all my insecurities about writing a book first and foremost the stories and the people i was interviewing for the book i was going i was rehashing a lot of old stuff yeah and it was just a lot so um, and i had to kind of if i didn't have the therapeutic support i probably the book i don't know what would happen <laughs> but um yeah. Uh, before, before like I, I, I'm going to take us back for it in a second, but before sure. I do, I, I think it's that's a really powerful thing that you've just said is um, you took the time whilst helping others to to look after yourself at the same time, and I think that's something so many people in this space and we all do generally forget to do is mm-hmm. to to spend that time. So thank you for sharing that. You you know you went and had some therapy as well at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important, isn't it? And it's so easily to easy to forget. Yeah. Um. And I'm, I'm. I. You know, if you haven't guessed from the book already, like I'm so passionate about just being open about with the stuff that, that's just going on with me. <laughs> like, um. I'm. If I'm in therapy, I'm in therapy. That's just where it is, and therapy has just become a huge part of my life. So much so that I'm training to become a therapist myself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's one of the most important jobs of like the 21st yeah. century and I'm just like so many people don't see the value um and I'm really just interested as to where it's going to go next but it's helped me immensely yeah you know? yeah but it's a uh, it's, it's helped so it's a uh, it's come up in so many of these conversations throughout the podcast as well as you can imagine that it's been a huge help for so many people um but let's ju- let's journey back a little bit we've kind of jumped ahead and i i i wondered if we could just get a bit more about you um in kind of what what you've been up to beyond the book and kind of where the origins of the book came from and then we can lead back into this this wonderful conversation well, don't give me that that green card. Where do you want to start? Because <laughs> I could I could be here, I could be here for a long time talking about it. So, where where do where do you need me? Which which part of time? 
wherever feels most natural for you. As I said, this is your this is your episode. This is about you. So to give people a flavour of who you are and and where you've you've come from to this moment in your career, I suppose would be helpful. Right. So I um, where can I begin? I think that a lot of my mental health journey really began with the breakdowns and I keep going back to this part um, because I I look at it as um, my Viola Davis in Fences moment and I don't know if you've seen that film when she's just crying and snotty and she's just like <laughs> um, and I had that moment looking in the mirror at myself and I just thought to myself Alex is this life like what are you doing <laughs> you're just you're just snotty crying by yourself breaking down in the bathroom um, and I can laugh about it now because I, I look back on a lot of things and laugh because life is comical and um, you have to look at it in those ways sometimes and I had these really intense panic attacks um, with while I was working in journalism. And um, so I was around 25, 26. And I was full of anxiety, full of angst, full of dread, full of pain, full of suffering, full of loads of stuff, um, just but not the good stuff, not the self-love, not the compassion not the acceptance, not the personal care, not gratitude, none of that stuff. I was just filled with anger, <laughs> like suffering, pain, um, just real kind of insecurity and upset and sadness and all of these different things. And I was filled with all of that. And um, it, it, it came from just being in places that I just felt like I wasn't living up to what was expected of me as a man i wasn't living up to the expectations of what was given for me as my parents child as uh, my grandmother's grandson and um you know i was on this diversity scheme for the journalism um for the place i was working and i you know giving um I was was I living up to their expectations as somebody who was supposed to be a, a, a good journalist or somebody who's supposed to be working that way? Um, my personal relationships were all over the place. Um, friendships, all of this stuff, relationships, identity crises, all of this stuff all happened at once the day I turned 25. Now, I want to say the day I turned 25, that's dramatic license. From when I, from when I turned 25... <laughs> <laughs> but when I turned 25, um, a lot of that came to a head. I was alone. I was I was in Glasgow. I celebrated my 25th birthday by myself because um, I was with work. I was I was a, I was working away for like for around six months, um, and I knew nobody. And I was alone, and I was really upset. And um, it was just a really intense kind of it was a really intense time just being. Um, me in that moment I was just kind of I was really struggling with um, kind of really figuring out what I wanted to do and you know once I kind of had those had, had the, the attack when I was in one of the attacks when I was in um, Glasgow and I said I don't want to be doing this job I don't want to be doing this job and I've never I've not wanted to be doing this job but if I don't if I leave this job who am I letting down am I letting down my family am I letting down this paper am I letting down 
my friends and I'm letting down my grandpa, you know, I'm letting down all these people, but I'm still feeling so lonely and so kind of down. And I just kind of lost myself in like drink and um, kind of negative self-talk and to really just kind of was in a really dark space. Everywhere I went, everybody kept saying, oh, you've got this gray cloud around you. Like, what's up? What's wrong with you? Like, you should be in the best kind of, you know, position you know you're in the best realm of your life in your career and all this different stuff and I was just like this is just not what I want to be doing then I started going therapy because I was like I can't keep calling my friends or speaking to certain friends or not speaking at all and suffering and keeping that all to myself and kind of really just dumping on like my one really close friend is really dumping all of my stuff um so I went to therapy because she kind of really encouraged me to do it and then when I got there, I realized that it wasn't just the job that was causing me all of this stuff. I thought it was because that was the one thing that was giving me the most external stress because once you get to work, you've got to put everything aside and just get on with the job. Exactly. But it was masculinity mm-hmm. that was pissing me off. It was. Let's let's stay here. Why why was masculinity pissing you off? Masculinity was pissing me off because I was like, I've been told to man up most of my life. I've been told to get a grip. I've been told to um, become more robust, be more r- rigid, kind of resilient in a way in, in not in the way that I use resilience but they've been saying you know become resilient be that kind of guy that is kind of like getting shit done sort of thing be the doer mm. and um doing all of that stuff and I was just like okay so I'm out getting this job I'm out getting this money I'm out getting all this stuff but I'm am I I'm what am I feeling I'm feeling empty I'm feeling lost I'm feeling vacuous and just really just nothing's there nothing's there like the lights on no one's home it's just literally continuing um to just kind of operate as if i was a robot and that's what kind that's what this stage of masculinity is making us feel like robots we don't have the elements of kind of you know, of the humanity we don't have that kind of privilege i mean people are really talking about masculinity you are to be this person all the time when masculinity is this huge spectrum mm. of like of everything masculinities everybody there's so many different kinds of men and masculinities out there but we're all kind of so focused on this very slim thin part of masculinity that nobody can step out of because as soon as you step out of it you're closer to femininity and that is what nobody wants so it's kind of like this really weird understanding so masculinity was pissing me off and, and I think that was the main core of everything that was going on because that showed up in my friendships, um, that showed up in my family, showed up in how I felt about relationships. And it showed up in um, just obviously generally work. So masculinity kind of was at the core of a lot of my problems. Okay. <laughs> and that is jarring because as a man, you're expected to, you're expected to perform and conform to all of that stuff. So I'm looking at it thinking, well, this is some, can I swear on this podcast? Of course. I'm looking at it and thinking, that's some bullshit. So <laughs> all of this that you're telling me to have to be doing and existing in doesn't make no sense to me yeah. at all. So yeah. what's going on? Um, we looked at 
all of this <laughs> just we just looked at so many different things and i really kind of like really once i kind of got under the surface i started to be exposed to friendships that weren't good for me i started to understand which friendships weren't good for me i started to understand um how i want to show up in a relationship i started to understand what boundaries were like with family i started to understand what i could bring to the table how i show up for myself at work I started to really understand what that looks like but at the same time um something that men have a huge problem with is emotional awareness and emotional intelligence because at the same time i was becoming so emotionally aware and in tune because i mean i would say that i was very emotionally aware growing up just as this is what i mean and this whole conversation around masculinity i was like i'm so emotionally aware empathetic all of these different things all the things that men aren't necessarily thought to have thought to be and um when i started to become hyper tuned and focused into what that meant and kind of looking at what people are t- like saying and talking and wh- when they're talking to me what am i hearing what am i seeing what am i feeling with you and what, what not, I started to become attuned to that. Mm. And as I started to become attuned to that, I started to recognize how much men just haven't got a clue <laughs> at all of how to emote, how to, what their emotional communication is, what they like, how to be emotionally intelligent or aware. And this is really disrupting a lot of our relationships. When I say relationships, I'm talking about that on a very broad level just of how we relate to one another as men how we relate to everybody else in the world what that what does that look like for our colleagues our family members you know and all these different things so i started to really look into that and that's kind of how i got here this is and i i took this journey to this point for this for the purpose of this show because i find it i find it interesting that um at this stage i'm really kind of focusing on like emotionality and um, how we can kind of really develop an emotional education for men because we can't, because so many men are, you know, what we hear is all the time, oh, I want to get my dad to open up about his feelings. I want to get my cousin to do X, Y, and Z. I want to do my my brother, my son, my husband, my partner, my ex, my Y, my Z, all of these people have the same issues, but but the stats, and the stats are continuously being spouted, but nobody is kind of really going going forward with them. Three quarters of suicides are carried out by men. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest killer of men under age of 45 in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, like young people are, are, are moving, in, are moving, are more and more are self-harming as a result of this pandemic. Loneliness is on the rise. We've got all of these different things that are going on, but and you know we talk about mental health as this kind of wide umbrella of things and we talk about masculinity as this separate thing and we talk about all these things as a separate thing i'm like we are it is all connected it is all one thing mm-hmm. and they all work in very insidious ways with one another absolutely but, yeah. So, yeah. well that was an incredible like an incredible introduction to you and your your journey and how you you're here today and how you you know you got to publishing this this wonderful book which you and I were talking before this and I was saying how much just from reading someone else's experiences I felt understood probably fully understood in my own experiences 
in a long time. There's only a handful of people who are very close to me who've really I've connected with that and have really understood where I'm coming from. So for you to 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 read somebody else's book who you've never really formally met face to face, you know, we've met virtually before, but yeah. it's really powerful. It's really, really powerful. And all the love for the book that I've seen so far is is I'm I'm not surprised, frankly. And and thank you for being so open there with introducing you to us. I'd like to I'd like to unpick a couple of things that you've said, if that's okay. Um and it kind of leads me into referencing the book again. But you've you've you went there a little bit in terms of the expectations that were put on you but you you spoke more broadly about expectations around masculinity uh, i think so I, i'd like to kind of tap into a bit more of your individual lived experience of what that meant for you and where were the origins of those expectations do you think where did they come from within your world within alex's world um so the expectations they came from <laughs> just passed down generationally um, with regards to just the men around me, mm-hmm. you know, what it what it means to be a man. I like, so I, I love cooking. Even to this day, my dad's looked at me, yes, like the other day, he was like, you like being a chef, don't you? And I said, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> like, are we all not eating here? Um, and when you when I asked him, I mean, I'm getting used to asking, what do you mean? <laughs> because you can't make assumptions. And he's just like, yeah, you just, I just didn't say you really like cooking. I'm like, yeah, I like cooking because for me, it's a process. It's a, it, it, I shut off to so many different things, but, and it's, and I can provide for people. Like I can make stuff and people eat it and they like it. And they tell me they like it and it's great because you do it again. Yeah. Um, but growing up, I never grew up seeing men cook. Mm. I was very much at the waist of my mother and my grandmother watching them cook things, interested in recipes and stuff, wanting to learn how to do things, take my hand to most things. I can put my hand to most meals and and, and cook it and cook it well. And um, I attribute that to the education I got uh, from my mum and my grandmother and my aunts and people like that. I never have never had men teach me how to cook in that way. But the expectations of me were to be outside fixing my bike or to be outside playing football, to be outside running up and down in the street or doing something that was just boisterous and unnecessary. And um and I looked at it and I thought to myself, well, I don't really like being outside like that. I like my, I ride my bike and I will fix it when it, I'm the kind of person I would do what, I would do what is necessary when it's necessary. You know, mm-hmm. like if the bike, if the bike broke, then yes, we fix it. But I'm not going to be tinkering with the bike. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff, I was just kind of like, I'm just like, am I even doing boyhood correctly? Like, can I climb a tree? I remember thinking this when I was like 10, probably 12. And I was like, can I climb a tree? Should I, should I, should I, should I be knowing how to do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, like, and I, I'm a very deep thinker, like, of a very young age, because um, I was just, I don't even know why, but I always was considering, like, what stuff meant. And um, 
because I was always looking at it like, should I be able to, should I climb a tree? Should I be able to do that? Should I do all these different things? Should I be able, should I be boxing? Should I, should I be having fights outside? Yeah. What should I be doing? Should I be kind of riding across the city and then riding back late at night and getting in trouble? Should I do that? Um, it just wasn't me. I was very much the kind of guy that would be inside sketching, drawing something, writing in one of my little black books, um, reading, um, listening creating. to music, creating. I was very much somebody who was kind of very, very obsessed with my inner world. I was very kind of like just that guy. And, um, and when it comes to the, yeah, so when it came to the, um, expectations it just i just didn't feel like i was doing boyhood or masculinity right i was just like well well damn like where's the manual i didn't and no one told me that and it just, it just became worse as you go as you grow older as a boy right yeah it becomes worse as you grow older because you then get to secondary school and then um you're, <laughs> and then, you know secondary school is boy if i could go back i would love to go back with, with, and just watch it wow again, it's a comedy 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 show i would look literally be like oh my gosh look at me enter the screen now and it's just like the sitcom claps <laughs> um, because it's just i look at the stuff and i just think to myself all the things that i've had to learn about being a boy and being a man um it all it all came from there it came from uh, you know as i said it comes from home so you see the men in your life it goes from school the men the boys and men and in your social life and you start to just really figure start to start to think to yourself well again i kept having this question am i doing masculinity right there's a lot of shame there's a lot of teasing there's a lot of physicality that goes into what is expected of a boy and um man and um i didn't really i didn't really ascribe to it all put it that way i didn't none of it was just none of it was for me i checked out quite early <laughs> and it's interesting because you can really well how i've interpreted what you've said so far you can kind of trace those origins into your experience at the newspaper which you do talk about in the book yeah and you've talked about today so yeah and i I wondered and I wanted to ask you and I as soon as I read the dedication for the book that's what I'm, I'm calling it is I knew it this was going to be a powerful experience um harping back to my own childhood and my own kind of experiences when I was young in those formative years and I wondered if you could talk more to that dedication and is is that kind of your, your experience you've just talked about there with your being young and 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 kind of going through secondary school is that where that mean? was coming from do you want to read out the dedication i i mean i can do i Go think i love other people reading it okay so to all the men who could have loved had they been given the chance as boys to grow into the best men that they could have been so the Dedication um, has many different roots in it because it kind of speaks to what the title of the book could have been, um, what I kind of thought it may have been. And I was just very, very 
curious in the way that what would it have been like if boys were just giving a break of just like just all of the all of the rubbish all of the posturing and the performance and the masks and all of that stuff what if they just didn't have to do all of that what if there were masculine role models at home when I say masculine I mean just male or male identifying role models at home who encouraged boys just to be just to be who they are you know um they wanted to be a singer they have all the support they wanted to be a dancer they have all the support if they wanted to be an air host they have all the support if they wanted to do um if they wanted to you know be a sewing teacher or sew or crochet or do this and they had all the support what would it have looked like in a world where men don't have to feel ashamed for wanting to do things that they feel passionately about but they can't share their passion for mm-hmm. um and and that's when i looked at it and i thought to myself well this is to them this is to them because and us and we and everyone because the moment that you tell a boy he can't do something is the moment you've kind of knocked a life out of him yeah and i think that that is kind of one of the worst things that we can do because we create because then we create the kind of men that we have today yeah you know and um yeah It's um, it's, sorry. That just made me uh, it caught me off guard a little bit. What you just said, and it it's so true. And 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 just on that, you know, it's almost it goes beyond those role role models at home. It it's almost like there. It's almost like you were describing in some sense the structures that we live within that we can't see either. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whether you are a young gay boy like myself you know figuring that out or a young non-binary person or a young black man or you know a young hindu man or, or whatever there are structures that we all experience mm. for different reasons that we can't see that talus is men and boys inherently from the day we're born even mm. before we we can articulate them ourselves what we should and shouldn't be um and that's that's what i took away from that yeah yeah and it's just weird because growing up, like, for me, I'm attracted to so many different people based on who they are. Like, and it just really kind of helps me really connect because my whole thing is about relating and connecting and navigating and doing all these different things. Because I'm just like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of life if we don't connect or relate with people and, you know, fall in love when we fall in love and be with the people that we want to be with and if it's right it's right and all that stuff call me a romantic call me a guy who's been literally sitting in front of disney films all his life i have and <laughs> call, call me that person but you then end up clipping yourself then you just start to think to yourself is this right am i right am i correct am i who am I? What am I? <laughs> what? How do I have to identify myself? Why am I identifying myself in this way? 
what are the stigmas that come with it? Why am I doing this? Am exactly. I even a man? What does a man mean? I, me, and my mind just went on 10,000 kind of like different journeys just in the in that little space growing up because I was just like there's so much happening I just don't know what to do um and there's no one to speak to about these things um so my hope is with the book is that people that boys growing up will be able to kind of read something that just allows them to think okay because for so long like we are you know, I, I, I'm, I've got like nephews and stuff, and my one thing is that I struggle to. I had a vision in my mind the other day as I was walking because I was thinking, I love, I love my nieces and nephews. I love them so much. They're so precious little babies. They're like four and two and barely one. And I'm just like. Oh, they're just kids they're so innocent they're so fresh <laughs> they're fresh humans and um, then I think to myself I see as I see them grow older I see more and more of the genderization so I see the track suits that the boys decide to wear and I'm like okay this is cool I see the football shirts starting to come I see the the fairy princesses, the fairy princess outfits and uniforms, and the tiaras and the ones and the this and the pink jumpers and the mini mouse hats and the da, 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 da. and I'm looking at it and I'm like, hmm. And then I have I see I'm hearing you're I'm hearing them say things like you're not supposed to, da, da. Uh. you're not supposed to. Da, da. And I'm just like, wow, this is very interesting. And then soon, I had, and I, started, I had a vision like in my mind that I would, they, their fathers would be throwing footballs at them for them to kick and do all that stuff. And I'm just like, this is going to be so interesting. What it's looking, I'm looking at life happen in this way because obviously when you're when you're young and you're growing up like you don't obviously see yourself because you're just growing up and now and you have your aunties and uncles or your parents or whatever watching you and doing whatever and they've got their own set of ideals and things that are going on ideas of what it means to be a boy mm. and then i'm like looking at these looking at these babies now and i'm like this is very interesting i wonder what conversations we shall be having when they're 20. yeah i'm super interested in that and that is that is why the dedication is that and that is why i am in the process of doing all the work i can until yes. they are 20. <laughs> and then when they do ask questions i'm like refer back to okay. there, 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 there. and we can have the conversations across the way because um i just think it's super i yeah i just think it's super important that we really become wholehearted in our conversations and the education that we're bringing up our boys and our girls um but mostly our boys because we need to create a world where these women and girls are safe you know indeed yeah when i say when i say safe it's not this patriarchal idea of protection they're mine i'm going to protect them it's more of we are together and we should be all and, and you know men are a large part of the problem yeah so we are together so 
they should be women and girls should not be and children should not be able, not have to walk in the street and feel as if they are scared of to course. go home to get home because I'm walking behind them. us on a little bit and at the at the top of the episode you you mentioned that you'd just come out of a, a a depressive episode or feeling a bit low and I wondered two things really I I'm interested about lived experiences of depression because we all have this idea don't we we've all been drilled into us what depression looks like but it's it's very very or depressive moments or depressive episodes what they look like but they're very rarely what they're portrayed as in the media or in imagery or in songs and and things like that so I wondered a how that feels and b what that looks like for you what are the characteristics of your moments of depressive moments um I, in depressive moments, I, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like the stereotypical kind of dark, sit down in a corner and just be moody and broody sort of thing. It's, a, um, it's a moment of instability for me. Um, I'm somebody who thrives on being stable <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, as soon as something kind of you know it's a, sometimes it doesn't go your way when something doesn't go in the way that you want it to be going and you feel you start to kind of let the self the negative self talk kind of come in the critic the inner critic starts to speak and then the voice gets louder and louder and louder and then it just becomes this thing where you are just like miserable for me i just when my mood drops the foods i'm eating the not being outside or kind of really just getting low in that i guess get bogged down in a lack of perspective Mm. like i'm somebody who thrives on the possibility of so many different things like i'm like oh my gosh so we can go here there everywhere up down left right that way that way all of these different options everything's great as soon as i'm in a depressive state nothing can happen i'm like no this is like that that's like that that's like that that's like that and that's it sort of thing Mm -hmm. the key for me though is recognizing when that happens so giving it a name so sitting down and saying I'm going through this depressive state. When people ask me how I am, I'm like, they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm not doing too well. I'm not feeling great. My perspective is very limited. I'm just feeling really bogged down. And everything's shit. And they would just be like, okay, so (laughs) um, let's talk about it. And I'm blessed to have friends who would do that, who sit there and hold space for me to be like, all right, just tell me what's going on and I'll just be like blah 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 this all this other stuff but I don't say that to have a solution given to me I say all that for that someone can just listen mm. to what I'm going through you know this is what people misunderstand about all of this stuff 
if they if somebody comes to you they don't always need you to fix them if somebody brings you a plane do they need you to fly it <laughs> can you fly the plane <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so that's why that's the job of therapists okay <laughs> they, they will take you and they will kind of like give you the tools to kind of like put you in a space yeah. friends and family don't hold that space obviously if they are therapists they have tools but I, they don't advise friends and family to do that with friends and family because too many boundaries crossed everything so the point I'm making is that Sometimes you just have to understand that it's about listening to one another and sometimes just being there, being in the space. Like whenever my friends go through stuff, you know, when we could go out, we could do whatever. And I know that if I had my own space or my own home and they were going through stuff, we're like, oh, all right, cool, come over. We're just gonna have food. We're gonna have food, we're gonna have drink, we're gonna watch some crappy films and we're gonna just chill, chat, whatever. And sometimes that's just that's just what people need. They don't need you to fix the problem with their boyfriend or to um, understand their self-esteem issues with their mum or to figure out what the, what Karen at work is saying about them in the corner whenever she walks into the staff room because she's just she smiles at me in the hallway but she's really gossiping about me. No one needs to like they don't they're not going to fix that. But what they are doing is providing a space for you to be able to share those things, give you a perspective. And that's what we need more. And I was saying this earlier to one of my friends. I was like, "It's so important that we that I would I, I would love to for there to be a level of concern when it comes to people post this whole pandemic, 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 panoramic, pan thing, whatever was going on right now. No one knows, but I would love for there to be a a level of concern." for people like are you okay what's going on let's go and let's go and grab a hot beverage let's not you know let's not drown our sorrows in the bottom of an alcoholic one yet <laughs> but like you know let's go grab something let's go for a walk let's go do whatever like you know have general concern genuine concern for one another um and i think that's kind of and when i'm in a depressive state and i'm in a low state that's what i require someone to feel actively concerned who wants to listen to me who wants yeah. to be there who wants to help me and he wants to support me and I think that that's something that we don't ask a lot of people a lot of the time we just kind of just we kick into this overdrive of saying all right I'm gonna be there I'm gonna help you I'm gonna get you through this all right so we need step one two three we need to get you out of this da, 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 da. it's like this is not what it is it's not what everybody wants it's not what everybody needs you just what's wrong with asking some people some people don't know what they need yeah. So you just sometimes you can just not know together. Yeah. <laughs> and it puts so much it puts so much pressure on that you know that really resonates resonates with me because when I was really poorly, mm -hmm. and people would go, "What's wrong with you?" Or it was even it was even it, and and it was like I can't I couldn't articulate it. I didn't know how to tell people. I just wanted to. I didn't and you know that question what's wrong with you makes mm -hmm. it you feel pressured to be able to identify what it is in the first place and mm -hmm. uh, for me i i feel like that is always the million dollar question like if i knew then you know i could do something about it but right yeah. now 
I don't know. I'm lost. Exactly. And this is why I keep always saying about, you know, about the, uh, the, uh, the element of kind of what resilience and what that looks like. Because if I ask somebody who is going through some stuff, oh, like my mum and my parents, right, for example, my mum, I'd be like, oh, I have a headache. She'd be like, why? And I'm like, I don't know, I've got a headache. <laughs> like, am I tired? Am I hungry? I don't know. Am I stressed? Like, I don't know why I have a headache. I just have one. Like, what do you mean? And it's annoying. Yeah. I mean, why? <laughs> so when people are when people are like, oh, um, do you like, oh, I'm feeling kind of down. What are you feeling down for? For me, I'm like, those aren't the questions we should be asking really and truly how can i support you in this yeah like talk to me how's it how's it going like what you know what i mean yeah yeah so for me i'm just like when we when we start actually really understanding what we're actually saying and what we're actually asking because i know what the what the actual question in that situation what my mom said like is it's like okay you tell me what the reason for that is so that I can provide you with the answer. Yeah. If I don't know what the reason is, I can't provide you with the answer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just not that. Sometimes it's just you don't need all of that stuff. So it's about just really figuring out our communication and our understanding as to kind of how to communicate when people go through this stuff. We get so scared when mental health conversations come up. We're so shook. Nobody knows what to do. Everyone starts to panic. Um, oh my God, I can't see the wound. I don't know where the wound is and yeah. all this different stuff. How have I hurt them when they were younger and what's going on? Did I say something wrong? It's just a whole load of different stuff that comes up. And yeah, and this is why this is why when it comes to the mental health conversation and all my kind of stuff and the stuff I speak about and the things I speak on, I really focus on emotionality and how that affects our mentalities and our spirituality because it, it is so intrinsic. It works together in that way, you know? Yeah. What I found about you as well, Alex, you know, when engaging in the the Instagram lives that you've done and your podcast and the book is that, and this sounds really, really obvious when I say this, so (laughs) forgive me, but you, it's very much person first, individual first, human first, whatever, you know, it's not, this is the language that you should use when talking about mental health. It's never, it's never about that. I find, and that's how I've interpreted it, it could be wrong, but it's more about let's look at the person in the round and let's have a conversation about that, which will lead us to how we can support each other, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you were saying about, you just need people to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, When you do have those kind of lower moments, Mm -hmm. um, is there any kind of practical steps that you take to look after your your mental health? So you talked about, you know, having support from your friends and feeling really blessed in that sense. But when your friends perhaps aren't around, say if you mm-hmm. wake up one yeah, morning, yeah, yeah. You have how, to... what steps mm-hmm. do you take? And I'll say that just because for your listeners, it's just that um, everybody's routine and path is different. Um, and everybody, everybody's focus is different. So me running down the street, you know, half kind of like naked and just trying to like be free of all these tears. Joking. No, it's um, <laughs> it's like, you're going going like, oh my god, what's going? Where, where are we going? Um, no, um, so I, I do. Whenever, seriously, though, yeah, everybody's path is different. Everybody's kind of routine's different. Um, 
But I gotten back into meditation and I know that people keep saying like I, I I grew weary of this myself like literally meditate get yourself centered grounded do all this stuff like mindfulness yada, yada, yada. And I was used to be like oh god not again just like people continue doing it but what I started to do I had to I started to research the different kinds of meditations that I needed because I wanted to get into really kind of finding still and peacefulness just on a spiritual level just really just trying to get there because i think that's so important for helping you make decisions helping you appreciate life and look at things in a completely different way so um one of the meditations i look at are is loving kindness meditations and they are amazing for me They're, that's what works for me and my own household because i say look you, you you sit down you you i've got a guided meditation um and what it does it kind of it 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 says what some of the meditations and the practices in it are for you to give love to yourself like invite that in invite all of that kind of energy and positive stuff and what you experience and what you feel love to be and then you get and then you and then once it's here then you can start giving it out so you give it to somebody that you, that is always there for you, that you love, that you care for, that you X, Y, and Z. Somebody that is neutral. So the person who, the corner shop person down the road or the postman or whatever, someone neutral that you never, you don't really know their name, but you don't dislike them, but you don't like them. You know what I mean? They're just someone there. And it's someone that you are not too fond of. There's someone that is like, that is kind of really someone that you would probably not spend too much time with or really care for or care about in that way. Other Outside of the fact that they're human, they're just not somebody who you want to be around often. And then the meditations go from there, those three kind of, so those four spaces. And it just really helps you kind of, you know, give that level of connection because you're just like, okay, cool. So even if there's somebody I don't like, it doesn't mean that they're not deserving of love and kindness. And in all of these elements we have in ourselves, there's times that we just feel ambivalent about ourselves. And we're just like, ugh, like, you know, I'm just here. I just, I'm just this gray kind of person. Um, but I can still give myself love. There's times when we hate ourselves and really just like, oh, you're so X, Y, Z, why are you doing that? Like, oh God, you can't sit up straight. What's going on? Like shave your beard, fix your hair. You know, you've got that thing in the corner of your eye that that everybody can see, no one can see it. And then it's like all of these different things. You can bring, you can invite the love and kindness to yourself. And then when all that happens, you can even, even when you're in your best mood and you're inviting all that love to yourself, that's the, that's the easiest. The hardest bit is getting it from giving and getting it from when you're in when you, people you don't like or when you don't like yourself. So those are really important to me as meditations to do because if I don't do those, um, that kind of then puts me in the space that I said I had the depressive moments. And when I look back, I was like, actually, did I do my meditations? Because I was so overwhelmed with all the stuff that I was doing on a day to day basis that I completely forgot. <laughs> and I was right. like, I was like, actually, oh my god, like let me. Let me just do a course correction because yeah. this can't work. This can't happen again, but it probably will because of life. But it can't happen again for now. And then you just kind of sit down and you're like, all right, so time I can take for myself and kind of give myself that. And that's like 10 minutes. And then you can extend it to however long you want to do it. Um, so that's that. That's loving kind of meditations. Um, journaling. 
um, again, things that people always say. And I'm just like, sometimes it's the simplest things. It doesn't need to be a fancy journal. It doesn't need, some of them have, you know, amazing 10 things you want to do this month and all this different stuff and the five minute journal and all these different things. Sometimes they're great for certain people if you need process in those ways. For me, I just need a plain black moleskin and that's it, like writing, just, just me doing my thing in there. And um, that's really helpful. I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of kind of creating a document for like journal prompts for people, just so that just a free resource so that they can kind of like get on with stuff. Because sometimes it's the hardest place to start. Where do you begin? Dear diary, yeah. I was feeling kind of, no, like sometimes you want to be a bit, you want to be a bit more creative with that, don't you? Mm-hmm. So I'm in the process of kind of figuring out like 75 journal prompts for people. So I'll let you in, I'll let you in on that when that comes. Um, and yeah, and just and third thing would just be to just get into the body. Again, very simple stuff. It's none of this like I drink elderflower water and I just kind of want to. They're great. They're amazing. I think diffusers are amazing. I like them all. But for me, my whole process, my whole thing is, I want wellness to be accessible, and I want people to actually just really kind of like get into their practice and say, look. I just, want to, I just want to start doing something. I want to start looking after myself and taking care of myself. So I'm not going to give, I'm not going to save to you to buy out, buy a 60 pound candle and sit there and kind of do all this stuff. Cause what's the point? Yeah. Get into the body, go for walks. If you're feeling able to go for runs, if you want to just stretch yoga, there's loads of people on YouTube that are doing free yoga stuff now. Um, go and just get into the body, do some Pilates, do some, do some of those things, get to the gym if you can, but like just, but do, but don't do it with the perception of, I want to be buff looking or sexy or all that stuff. Just go because you want to get reconnected with yourself. Just work your body. Like your body needs, is there to work. You know what I mean? It's there to work for you and do the stuff you want to do. Yeah. Um, and what's the point, you know, and we're living a life that is, you know, relatively brief in context of everything that happens. So you just want to make sure your body's, a, your body's strong enough. Yeah. All of that. So yeah, that's what I would say. Um, those are my three things. Um, meditations, journal, get into the body. And eat and well. I, and eat well yeah of course and i i i I, just to just to pick up on one little thing very briefly if you if you'd like um for anybody that's listening who goes oh meditation you know and i'm one of these people because my mind is like going 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 how how did you how how, this is is great then so how do you overcome that you know somebody might think oh meditation doesn't work for me is there anything that you've done that has kind of been helpful to keep you engaged um, again, as I said, find the right meditation for you. Okay. I, 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 I found that I needed to have the visualizations of love and kindness emanating out and in. I needed that. That's what I need to visualize. I couldn't do it when it was just, all right, so sit still for 20 minutes and just in and out and you feel like the water from the top of your head down to the I couldn't do it that just yeah. wasn't for me I had to be doing something my mind had to be kind of like because you can never really empty your mind they always say 
think no thoughts there are no thoughts all these different things i'm like well the, the you're hearing them say this so there are thoughts so it's kind of like well it's kind of a contradiction but yeah. when your mind is actually saying okay so think of somebody you love all right imagine putting you know what i mean so your mind is doing the stuff already so then you can kind of but then you but for me it becomes um an embodiment because when I'm doing work, I do a lot of embodiment stuff as well. So my whole body feels the warmth of giving the stuff out. So I'm so that's kind of what works for me. Some people like to have the instruction others yeah. in other spaces. So you just have to just find what works for you. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm training as a therapist. And the first part of that is hypnotherapy that I'm studying. And hypnotherapy wow. is like meditation. Meditation's really kind of intense cousin. So it's like it just really comes in and it just does this long hypnosis and it's like, oh my God, like what is going on? And it's a really, really amazing experience. So I work in those spaces already anyway. So my body's kind of like I'm getting into that kind of those kind of phases myself. Um, but just find what works. Yeah. Like spend some time exploring it what kind of meditations are there is this the one i want to do no okay let's have a look at this one do i even need it to be anything can i just get headspace yeah go for it headspace will just give you all of the meditations that you need sometimes sleeping meditations are so great because you, all you've got to do is put it on i think andy would come andy put come on the um yeah, yeah. Thing. he literally just says okay so lie down like <laughs> like and then like on your back just close your eyes and think about and that's all you have to do as you meditating sometimes you step out of what you're expected to do mm-hmm. and find what works for you and no one can tell you that you don't meditate you meditate you meditate before you go to bed okay everybody uh, everybody listening i think we've just heard the birth of alex's next project (laughs) so he's gonna take on headspace andy be careful (laughs) that was amazing thank you i just wanted to pick up that up because you know so many people often say oh i really struggle with it so i was really intrigued to to hear your, your experience with that so moving us on again now forward to the kind of penultimate part of the episode mm-hmm. is um it's quite a big question um if you could go back to those periods or a, if there's a specific time you want to focus on that's absolutely fine when you were very low or you were struggling perhaps on that that night on your your 25th birthday so if you could go back to that moment and give yourself some advice or guidance from from now what would that be so if it was like a real kind of um TV drama moment and I woke up and then there's me just standing at the door and I'm yeah. like oh my god who are you and it's like shh it's a secret yeah and um, it's me from 10 years ahead whatever <laughs> under cloak and dagger um I think you know I was asked this yesterday and I was just like I don't know what I would say I'd say you know the cliche everything's gonna be fine everything will be well you are going to be okay because i'm clearly here <laughs> like this is me this is you we is we us together <laughs> and um yeah keep your head up um go in the route that feels best for you and do what matters but also follow your heart people don't people don't people like you know we've been conditioned not to 
And I just feel like it's so strange. Don't follow your heart, follow your head. Your heart will lead you places that you don't want to do. do, 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 do. Yeah. It's us, it's us putting limits on our heart, on our intuition, on our actual feelings. You know? Like, if your gut, because your gut is is like a, a, one of the real places that says, look, this don't feel right. So listen to me. And we're gonna, you know, pivot left and just go this way. But our head is always like, well, this way is shorter, so I'm just gonna go this way and just continue doing that. So you choose logic over intuition, and you end up putting yourself in situations. Um, so I just, I always say, choose your heart. Literally, go the direction that your heart tells you. Um, in the book, in that situation with those, with that friendship group, my heart yeah. telling me to leave, get out, go, leave these people to their own stuff like you have no business here but my head said all of the fears and anxieties if i leave what does i say am i safe what am i doing yeah how am i gonna go so listen to your heart man like especially men listen to your intuition man listen to it can i ask you a question about that experience you may um, you may. It's just what you said there, and I wondered if, if you had so that experience was you were of a group of male friends, right? And there was some derogatory terms said about certain people, and 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 you weren't comfortable with that. It didn't align with your values, and you you your hesitation to leave was because of all these things that what what are people going to think of you? Are they going to be angry? Are you going to be safe? Would you have felt the same way if you were with a group of a mixed group of people? So there weren't just males, it was males, women, non-binary people, or if you were with just a group of women? Wow. One caveat is that there was one woman there. Okay. Um now we're hitting there. Just 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 as just to set the scene. Um, the other thing, so if it was a group of women, it was just me, so me and a group of women, yeah, and they and they were saying homophobic stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. I have been in situations like that. I've been mm-hmm. in a situation with them, so not with us women specifically, because it's very rare that I'd be around just women by myself. I think just kind of given the kind of friends I have. I just don't know whether that would have been the case, but it's always either mixed or just men. Okay. Um, so, and a lot of the women I know wouldn't have that kind of perspective anyway. They're a bit more like kind of easygoing in that sense. But the mixed one, I still felt awkward. Okay. I still felt awkward. I was like, oh, mainly because I didn't know the woman at the time who said certain things. Right. Well, I know her better now, so I probably would have said more. I'm always I'm always sussing people. I'm always like, okay, so this is what you think? That's, mm, okay. I've marked you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I, I would still free. I, no, not would now, but then in previous situations, still freeze for sure. Okay. Because... Yeah. At this stage, it, it wouldn't be a freezing. It would be a more of a, hmm, that's an interesting perspective that you have. Why? We generally be asking the question, why? Because I don't think we ask questions 
why enough and in, in those times i wasn't asking why enough i was just scared of not being accepted not being a part of a group not being um what's the word a part of this kind of unified thinking and yeah. i'm just like i just all of that i don't know i just don't I don't ascribe to any of that, you know. I like yeah. being in groups where we all think differently. Mm-hmm. It gives yeah. it's nice, it's colourful. It makes things more interesting, and um, we I learn more from that as a person. So all of that stuff doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but it's a very interesting question. Thank you for asking it. Thank you for accepting it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, if if I put myself in that situation, I completely understood why you didn't leave because I wouldn't leave, and I haven't left those situations before myself, even when they were talking about me, because it was just so scary to do that. Mm-hmm. But I feel much more empowered and safer to do so if it isn't just a group of men, which I find. And something you something you said earlier inspired that question as well about sports. And it's kind of like I've always loved sports. I'm very active, and I would I think I'd have been quite good at a lot of sports, but I was too scared to be in sports because it was always the boys play the hockey and the girls do this, and and, and it, it was and that freaked me out being growing up and and figuring out my sexuality and stuff, thinking I can't be around boys because they're gonna beat yeah. me up, they're going to reject me, or I'm yeah. gonna feel awkward. Yeah. It's so mad. Figuring out sexuality growing up is so kind of polarizing, and it shouldn't even be like. So I, I'm I'm just really just here for all the structures just to be put, torn down. To be fair, because when you think about it, if you just grow up, for example, imagine a world we just grow up, everybody just exists. Yeah. Wow. Some people just like guys. Some people like trans people. Some people like women. Some people like both or everybody. everybody. Yeah. Like some people just <laughs> like that, but they have the room to explore that. And you have the room to say, I don't like that. I mean, as in, I don't like that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you have the yeah. room to be able to do that. So I was just thinking, why is that so difficult? Why? Like, obviously we know why history tells us all these different things, like you know, yeah. stigmas and dogmas and all these different stuff and stretches and stuff. But I'm just, I'm still asking myself a lot of the time, why? Why is it that, you know, like we are, we're so, we love categories so much and we love these structures so much and we love all these things that it kind of really damages the mental health of so many promising young people and so many amazing minds and just creative talents that could just come out of nowhere and really just change the way that humans operate and just like navigate the world but we are so caught up on the fact that i don't like this because this shouldn't be the way it shouldn't be the way why yeah why should it be the way why should it be the way yeah if you listen to it there's an episode i mean i don't even know you read in the book there's a guy called ted bunch did you read yeah yeah um and I i had him on my podcast um you should definitely listen to it if you get the chance to hear him say these things beautiful man really amazing dad just i want him to be my godfather i always i'm just like i just like will you just be my godparent so when i go to new york you're just there for me <laughs> like that guy because he was just really just kind of so 
open to just really being there and committed to being there for his kids. All of them. Many different colours and backgrounds and just kind of experiences. He just has them there. It's an amazing picture of all of the all of his kids together and it's just like this amazing thing. So, you know, what what are we even doing half of the time? When we're just looking at all these kind of categories of throwing everybody in. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I just feel like if you, if we want people to really have show their best potential and be the best people that they can be, then why aren't we just allowing them to be that? Obviously, with, uh, with obvious safeguarding, because we don't want people to cause people harm. But, you know, why don't we just allow people, allow people to be? Just, just, just do it. Yeah, 100% definitely just allow people to choose their roads and their journeys and their categories don't impose them on people yeah yeah so this is the last bit of the show and the episode it's my personal favorite um it's called the guest favorite ironically and it's um a book or a song or a quote or a poem or whatever you want it to be that Mm. has inspired you or giving you strength in dark moments or, or low moments um, and, and really the origin of, of where that came from. Okay, so I really have been getting into, um, getting into, I love Marcus Aurelius meditations mm-hmm. um, and I've been reading a meditation each day because I I have been in a space as I said I'm kind of coming out of a moment and um, I've just been in a space where I just kind of want to get grounded and really really understand kind of where I'm at where I'm going and how I'm gonna kind of you know really help people how I'm going to serve and what that looks like mm. and um, I, I, I've been reading a lot of his stuff and I went through it and I've just been kind of underlining some of his meditations and there's one meditation that I shared with my friend um, and it's so it's so short I love his short ones but the, the longer ones you know, sorry, just a side note, you know, in the Greeks get like really, really happy with their wording and they just get all a bit too many different words or different places. It's just like, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean the same thing nowadays. It's long. So I'm just like short ones, I, keep it short, do the thing. Did, it, did I mention I was half Greek, Alex? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm kidding. you know, what? If, if you're half Greek, I'm, to just tell your people, okay? It's long, all right? <laughs> um, so Marcus says, um, This is on book seven, 59. It says, dig inside yourself. Inside, there is a spring of goodness ready to gush at any moment if you keep digging. And it's like what I said to you earlier about I was so obsessed with my interior worlds. I was so obsessed with my interior life. Um, I just kept digging. Kept putting myself and going further into myself and going in and going in, looking for that 
real gem mm. that I know was in there that I'd been kind of pulled away from. It's like I look at it as this thing like you have you're born like in this with this gem in you. It's so big because you're so small. It's just this big gem. As you grow older, it shrinks in deeper and deeper and deeper inside of you because the expectations of people, the conversations that you have, the feelings about yourself, all of that stuff becomes so big. It becomes further and further for you to deep in to go and find that 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 gem, that true self, that core self, that self of you. Um. So so, but people don't like to go there because it it, it uncovers so many different things. So many. It, it reminds you of what was said to you when you were seven. It reminds you of how you felt in that situation when you were thirteen. It reminds you of that argument that you heard when you were five or whatever. It reminds you of those things. But digging deep inside of us and keep going, you'll find the beauty in you and everything that's there. So people, some people really hate themselves because they've been so, because they're so far away from that gem and that goodness and all that stuff that's there. So my job is to help people get there and um, encourage people to just think that and to recognize and remember that there is something there for them. Just keep going, keep digging. You know, a life unexamined is not a life worth worth living is what James Baldwin said. So, you know, live an examined life. On that note, I'm going to leave it there. Um, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for your openness and your kindness with every, with your experience and creating a space for men and everybody else to talk. Thank you so much for being here, Alex. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Alex about his mental health journey and masculinity. You can find Alex on all social media, so go and check him out and give him a follow. And also, please don't forget to follow at Mental Health Pod on Instagram. Next week's episode is with double Olympian and head of performance at Champion Health, Jack Green. Don't forget, if you want to be part of the show, send me a short message to be included in a future episode using the link in the description. My name is James Saver. This has been Mental Health Podcast. And remember, always be yourself and always be kind. Cheers.